Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Thank you, musicians. Uh, beautiful words, beautiful songs to prepare our hearts. Thank you, Kyle. Um, took us to the cross, and uh, we'll be circling back around there later. Um, Shannon, Hannah, um, makes me want to come and be a part of School of Discipleship. I think this is very exciting. Uh, I can't understand in January why there wouldn't be 200 people signed up for this opportunity. Maybe the leaders don't want that, um, but this sounds like an incredible opportunity. And uh, uh, I think the, just the last course that uh, they were referring to this morning, uh, covering the story of redemption, man, what a, what a story. And um, yeah, I could launch off on that, but I won't. Galatians 4. And uh, just uh, we're going to read a few verses from Galatians 4. Um, you endured a, a, a long bio about me a few, a few minutes ago. My apologies. I didn't know how much information you wanted, but I left out probably the most important fact here and that I am the favorite uncle of Sean, Sam, and Seth Laguerre, and uh, a brother of Sharon. And uh, so that's a little more context for those of you who care. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Father, we are grateful again just to have an opportunity to have your word uh, open before us. We are convinced that you are the God who wrote these words, and you wanted us to know them and to understand them, and you have also given us your spirit to help us uh, really enter in and, and to shed light on these words. And so we just pray for your spirit's help this morning, both for the one who's up front and also for everyone who's listening, that uh, you would speak to our hearts directly, that we would hear from you and that we would be uh, enriched and encouraged in our walk with you. We ask this independence in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was mentioned a couple of times that Sherry and I were in the Grand Canyon or looking at the Grand Canyon last week or a little over a week ago, I guess. And uh, on the Friday night, just over a week ago, we went to a stargazing. So uh, it was a beautiful night. The skies kind of opened up. It was beautiful and clear and breathtaking uh, to see uh, the, the galaxies. It was just unbelievable. Um, I'd highly, it was worth going just for that. We then went inside to a, a lecture or a presentation by uh, he was a bit of a geek, um, but he was really, he was really um, passionate about the Mars explorations. And uh, so he went into great detail about the science and the money and, and everything behind getting these rovers up into space. And it is quite amazing how uh, these machines, uh, fueled by a little piece of plutonium, 
uh, that's what it is. Uh, it, it, it produces power through their technology, essentially the power that would light a 100-watt light bulb. And, uh, and that amount of power uh, runs this whole rover, and it's climbing up you know, things on Mars and beaming stuff back into space. And that little block of plutonium is supposed to produce energy for 25 years. And it's, it really is quite remarkable. Um, so he was all caught up in the Mars exploration. I was thinking, uh, although this was before my time, uh, I was thinking of how excited people were with the Moors, uh, Moors, the moon. And, uh, and, and this goes back now almost 55 years uh, when, when Buzz, uh, Buzz uh, what were their names? Um, Armstrong and... Yes, Buzz Aldrin and Armstrong uh, landed on the moon. And, um, and so this was the comment that President Nixon made at the time. He was, he was pre the U.S. president at the time when uh, they were walking on the moon. And this is what he said. The planting of human feet upon the moon is the greatest event in human history. Later, a number of years later, uh, uh, Southern Baptist pastor Adrian Rogers, um, he, he said this, he said, I mean no respect, Mr. President, but you're totally wrong. He said the greatest event in human history was not planting human feet upon the moon, but when God came to a manger in Bethlehem and his feet were planted on earth. Now, I don't know what camp you're in this morning, but I'm, I'm with Adrian Rogers on this one. As, as spectacular as it was uh, to, to place man's feet on the moon, it's far more incomprehensible and amazing to think of the fact that God's feet have been planted on earth. It's, it's an amazing story, and that's what the Apostle Paul here in Galatians is summarizing and, and encapsulating in these few short verses. And I want to think of it this morning as this, this great drama that has been unfolding throughout time. And, and these few verses here uh, present it for us. It's a, it's a surprisingly concise but, but full statement of of what God has done, and it's this story of redemption that we heard about this morning. And it's played out, if you will, on, on three, uh, in three major scenes, at least according to these verses. And I just want to go through these scenes one by one. Notice how it started in, in verse 4. It said, when the time had fully come, or when the fullness of time had come, now, I don't know if any of you were raised with uh, nurse uh, fables and, and children's stories, but a lot of times those stories kind of start, a lot of the, most of them started, once upon a time, there was. And you know that that likely means that it actually didn't happen. That, that this is a fable, that this is kind of drawing you into this mystical, you know, never-never world. Once upon a time, there was, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. That's not how this great drama of redemption starts. It says, when the fullness of time, or at just the right time, 
God, and, and it, what it does is it, it implies that there was a, a preparation, that there was a, a timeline taking, that there was, there was thought and detail, and it was very specific. And, and so when the, in, the, in the original, it's, it's like this idea of when at just the specific right time on the calendar, when everything had been made ready, then the story of of redemption as, as we're going to see it. Now, of course, it started back well before the foundation of the world. Um, that's not what we're looking at this morning, but we're thinking of, of what happened um, starting at Bethlehem. But, but God was working in human history to, to prepare the world stage, if you will, for the coming of the Lord Jesus. I don't know how many of you have been to sight and sound theaters um, if you haven't, it's a great place to go and take your family, and I don't get any royalties or commissions from it. But you know that when the, the curtain rises and, and the scene is all set and the actors come out to act, that's not when it all started. That's not when the preparation started. You know that there were likely, in, the, in their case, years of preparation. Um, writing the script, writing the score, building the props, everything that goes into this, this amazing uh, portrayal of whatever, whatever it is they're portraying. The curtain lifts and, uh, and, and, then, and then the story begins. Uh, there's tremendous amount of preparation uh, made for the sight and sound creations. Well, in, in this case, um, the, the story of redemption doesn't start at Bethlehem, it started so far back before the creation of the world, before humans were ever formed. Um, God had already had this plan in mind. And so we, we get to Galatians 4, and he says, at just the right time, God sent his son. How, what does that mean? Uh, could it have happened 30 years earlier, for example? Well, maybe. Uh, it could have, but there's a lot of things that weren't in place 30 years earlier, and there were reasons why the Lord Jesus came and was sent specifically when he came. Uh, first of all, and I'll just mention four different things, and if you're in small groups and going to be answering questions, these things might be significant in your discussion. The first thing is prophetically, God had laid out a timeline and we're not going to drop into the details of that this morning, but the prophet Daniel was very specific about when the coming of the Messiah, and in particular, when the Messiah would be cut off or when he would be crucified. And so Bible scholars looking back now, now with a fuller understanding, they look at it and they say, there's like a two or three year window in human history when the Messiah had to be crucified to align with the Old Testament prophets. Now, we didn't know that looking forward, but looking back and piecing it all together, there was a very specific window in human history when the Messiah had to come and grow up ultimately to hear, uh, to go through what we heard about this morning, taking communion. Just the right time. Prophetically, the world stage was, was being set. The prophets had spoken in a, in a timeline, uh, and, it, and it, we could link uh, Daniel, we could link Nehemiah when the decree went out that Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. It all fits together specifically. And, and again, this, this idea of looking at the Bible as a story, uh, one complete whole, is so important 
Um, I like to think of it as the story of the lamb from Genesis to Revelation, and there's this theme that, that goes through uh, from Genesis to Revelation. There's a reason why when you get to the last chapters of the book of Revelation, it's all about the lamb. You, you remember that? You get, to, now I'm really off on a bunny trail, but lamb trail. <laughs> well, you, okay. Uh, <laughs> My nephews are going to disown me at this point. The lamb is its light. The lamb is its temple. The lamb is its... That's in, that's in Revelation 21 and 22, and it all ties back to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and so on. It's an amazing story. And so, so we have this prophetic timeline that has been established. That's why... Uh, Paul could say in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, because there was a specific time. The Lord Jesus kept saying, my time hasn't come, my time, it hasn't come yet. Now the time has come. And so there was the, the prophetic issue, but then there was the whole uh, pro, uh, political landscape. Do you realize that the Roman Empire was, was officially established just 25 years before the coming of Christ. Now, why is that significant? Because the world up until that point, uh, yes, there were little nation states and there were little, um, we, we read about it in the Old Testament, these little kingdoms, but they, were, they, they really were quite uh, small and, and separate and independent. And so much of the landscape of, of that known world uh, before the birth of the Roman Empire was, was really made up of these segregated regions and tribes all over and they were competing with each other and battling with each other. But the, the, the known world, if you would have looked at the, the landscape of, of, the, of the, the Middle East, it was made up of these little pockets and, and they were all functioning independently. And then the Roman Empire comes along and they start to conquer and they start to take over and they start to build roads and they start launching out and, and these roads were built so that the Roman army could advance into the further and further reaches of the empire. And it's interesting, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul, when he took the gospel out, uh, out we read about it in Acts, he took it out on roads that didn't exist 50 years earlier. But, but the Roman Empire had been established. Caesar Augustus was fir firmly in control. And so the whole political landscape had changed. And, and now the world was ripe for, for the coming of the Messiah and for the message of the gospel to launch and go out into all the world. Uh, we could say it, it couldn't have happened like this uh, 25 years earlier if Christ had come. And so the time was precise. The, the time had fully come. And then there was also the cultural aspect. Never before, and never before had one culture reached out so far and one language had such a... There was now, because of the, the Roman Empire and, and the, uh, the influence of Greek culture, 
uh, now suddenly, and this was a result of Alexander the Great, and now suddenly Greek was the, you could say the lingua franca, it was the, it was the language of the, the working man's language, and, and so for the first time there was a unifying language that you could say everyone in the known world knew, and, and now no longer um, was it, it just a bunch of little tribes with, with kind of crude dialects and, and that kind of thing. Now it was this, this amazing Greek language that had a precision and an accuracy to it that never existed before. And, and now, uh, now, because of the expanse of the Roman Empire and the Greek culture, uh, things went out and, and, and the world stage was being set for this, this amazing story of redemption for the coming of the Messiah. And, and then finally, so we've got political, we've got, uh, we've got prophetic, we've got culture, uh, the stage all being set and prepared. And then religion itself, pagan religion, was at, you might say, its wit's end. Uh, all of their philosophers, uh, Pythagoras and, and uh, Plato and Socrates, um, I'm, not a, I'm not huge into philosophy, but my understanding is uh, that they were at a point in this period of history where, where they were, the, the gods... The gods had just lost their shine, if we can put it this way, and there was this longing in the heart of philosophers for someone or, or something that they called the just man. They were, they were looking for, they knew that there needed to be someone to come who embodied all of the virtues and the things that they believed uh, were, were needed. And so there was this concept of the just man that they were, they were looking for. And, and so all of these things were, were working together. The world stage was being set prophetically, politically, culturally, in religion. At just the right time, Paul says, what? God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. And so this first stage, if we'd say the curtain is raised, and uh, we come to Bethlehem, and we've got the whole Bethlehem story, and it's, it's in, the, in these verses, it's summarized in these three simple statements. And, and so um, that really, I mean, we could have a short message here if I would just stick to the script. <laughs> God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law that summarizes everything about bethlehem and really like all the all of the 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 angelic messengers and and worship and the manger and all of it is contained in those three short statements god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law when it says god sent forth or god sent his son the idea there is actually uh, he was sent forth away. He was sent on a mission. He was dispatched. So this time of year when my wife is preparing for maybe for company or some big event and she's working on a recipe and she realizes she's missing something, I am sent forth away. <laughs> I am dispatched on a mission. And if I stop at Tim Hortons and visits with some friends, I get in trouble because I need to be on a mission and I must not lose track of my mission. 
It's very precise, very specific. And in this case, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, sent him on a mission. Now it's interesting, you think of a baby born into the world. Uh, One of the interesting things as I come here uh, to Wallenstein from time to time is so many of the people that I grew up in youth with are becoming grandparents. And it's kind of a mysterious thing how that happens uh, over time. But um, we hold this little baby in our, our arms, in our hands, and we don't look at this little one and say, where did this little one come from? Like, who, who sent him or her? No, we don't. We, we kind of know the history. We're, we're, we kind of know the kind of how it all works. We know that at best, this little one has had about nine months of history. But that's not the case when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He, he came from somewhere. He was sent. Um, he wasn't an ordinary baby. He has existed from eternity past. And, and, and he was being sent. He, there was a time when he sat on the throne and Isaiah saw him in Isaiah 6. Uh, and the angels were surrounding and crying out in worship and bowing before the throne. That's the one who was sent. And there was a time when he stepped down off that throne as we sang about today. And, and he came and he entered into this world. He, he was sent Yet at the same time, it says he was born of a woman. That's his humanity. He was, he was born of a woman, just like all of us were. And so his deity, he was sent by his father on a mission. But his humanity, he was born of a woman, just like you and I. And, and so why did he come? He says he was born of a woman, born under the law, born into uh, the Jewish culture and race and into the system of religion. And so that's the first scene, and, and we've got Bethlehem, and, and we sang about it this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we have the, the curtain lower between verse 4 and verse Five, and, and then the curtain rises again and we've got a whole new scene. First it's Bethlehem, God with us, but then the scene rises, uh, the curtain rises in verse five and we're told why he came. It says he came to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so if you're sitting in the audience and you're watching this drama played out, uh, the, the curtain drops on that scene in Bethlehem, it rises, and what a different scene it is at Calvary on that hill outside of Jerusalem. There's three crosses. There's the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. Uh, if you play play it in your mind you can you can hear the sound of the spikes being driven into the wood uh, you you can feel the heat of the day you can you can picture it uh, what's going on there at the cross at, at Calvary on that hill outside 
of Jerusalem. It says that the Lord Jesus was born under the law. In other words, he lived under the law and ultimately he died under the penalty of the law. The, the, the law stated in the Old Testament, the soul that sins will die. That was, that was the penalty for the law. The Lord Jesus, as we've, as we've already considered this morning, uh, died the death that he didn't deserve. Why? Why? It says it right here, to redeem those that were under the law. We don't use the word redeem um, in a normal sense anymore. This idea of re- redemption is to deliver, to purchase, to ransom. Uh, one definition that, that I like is that it's a, uh, to, to purchase with a view to freedom. Another definition, to deliver from the power of another by the payment of a price. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus did as he came and he laid down his life. He, he took that full cup, as we heard, that full weight of sin, the guilt of sin of, of the entire human race. He took it on himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And that's the transaction that we heard about this morning already. He came to redeem those under the law. Why? So that we might receive the full rights of sons. Peter writes it this way, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. The ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. John puts it this way in 1 John 4, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so we ask ourselves, why this awful scene at Calvary? Well, the passage tells us it's because God wanted to rescue us. God wanted to redeem us, to deliver us out of the, of the slave market, out of the bondage of sin. And some of us might be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm not a I'm not a slave. I'm, I'm actually feeling quite free to come and go and do as I want. And the Lord Jesus uh, addressed that with his uh, disciples and with the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, we're Pharisees. We're religious leaders. We're not in bondage to anyone. We're Jews. <laughs> why, why would we worry about bondage? And the Lord Jesus, you know what he said? He said, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know exactly what the Lord Jesus meant by that. We, we know all too well what uh, Paul, the apostle, talks about in Romans 7. The very things I want to do, the good things, I find I can't do them. And the, the bad things that I don't want to do, I, I find that I, 
I'm doing the bad things all the time. There's this aspect, this reality of bondage, the slave, the, the, uh, Satan himself is, has enslaved us and sin itself has enslaved us. We're in bondage. And, and the Lord Jesus, God, the Father, knew that we needed to be rescued from that. And so he sent his son to, to pay the the. the the full penalty of sin and then he raised from the dead to, to break the power of death and the, the, the penalty of, uh, of death. Why did he do this, as we read earlier, uh, to, to bring us out of slavery and bring us into his family? The idea here of receiving the full rights of sons is really a, is, is a beautiful thing. Uh, one, one commentator puts it this way, for the slave, or no, let me back up, it wasn't uncommon if a slave was trusted and had become a friend of the master for the slave to be adopted as a son. He would have sonship conferred upon him. And it was a win-win situation because the master immediately had a loyal partner in the business and the slave was no longer a slave, but considered a son with full signing authorities. You know, this great story of redemption this, that's being played out, Bethlehem, God with us, Calvary, God for us, literally, he gave himself for us, and, and it's so that we could be rescued out of the, 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 the slave, slave trade, if you will, the slavery of sin, and we can be brought into the family of God. That's what he's done for us. It's amazing to, to think that, that we now can relate to the, to the God of heavens, not as a, as a fearful, cowering uh, one who is guilty of, and, uh, of breaking the law and, and facing punishment and the displeasure and anger and condemnation of a, of a holy God. But, but he's made it possible through the payment of our sins and, and bringing us into his family, of, of bringing us into the full rights and privileges of a son right into the living room, if you will, of, of the God of the heavens so that we can come to the God of the heavens not as a, again, as I said, as a cowering sinner, but as a son who's been forgiven. A father, the God the Father who can say, I'm so glad you're home. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you with me. I'm so glad that we can enjoy fellowship and communion together with each other. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that are under the law. Okay, the time is going along. This drama is not of redemption, is quite, not quite complete. The curtain drops again. We've had two scenes, Bethlehem, Calvary. There's a third scene. What does it say here in verse six? Because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Okay, the curtain rises again. And now we have Pentecost. The time, that moment in history we read about in Acts when God sent his spirit into the life of his 
followers into those believers in the early church. And subsequently, uh, ever since that, the moment a person puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, God sends his son into our hearts, or his spirit, rather, into our hearts. So you notice, he sent his son on a mission into the world. But here in verse 6, he's sending his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts. He's not just referred to here as a comforter, which is a, a term that's often used, or a helper for the Holy Spirit. But in this context, he says, Paul says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit of sonship. Why did God send the spirit? Why is that so significant here in this passage? Here's what I think, and, and, um, and I, think, I think there's good basis for this in scripture, otherwise I wouldn't be sharing it. God knew that the transition from living as a slave to a son would come with all kinds of hurdles. To, to grow up and to live in this life of interacting with God as, as a, a, a sinner, a guilty sinner, uh, under the, the, the judgment and the, and, and the guilt, where, bearing the guilt of our sin, um, coming into his presence as a, as a servant, as one who is enslaved in sin, is very different than living your life as a son. Imagine, imagine a slave who's grown up in that environment and worked for an earthly master and, and always, you know, if he ever wanted to encroach on the, on the master's life, you know, he'd have to knock on the door or bow or whatever, grovel, whatever he had to do. If he ever wanted anything, he'd have to work a little harder. He'd have to gain a little more merit and favor um, as, as a slave, as a servant. That was just the, the nature of the relationship. Imagine if one day the, the slave owner, the master, comes to him and says, hey, congratulations, uh, today you're going to be a son. I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to give you the full rights and statuses of a son. And uh, you can move in with me and uh, live happily ever after. You, you've got to know that it would be a very difficult transition for that, for that son, that, new, that person now to, to live and relate to the same one in a different way as, as a son and a father, as a child uh, with his father, as opposed to as opposed to slave and master. Lots of hurdles. Um, there's, there's so many differences between living as a servant and a slave and a son. I mean, I mean, my son just, you know, even now will walk in and, I mean, he's married and has kids, but he'll still walk in and look in our fridge and see, <laughs> see what's in the fridge. That's just what a son does. And, uh, but, but, but he doesn't come cowering into our home and uh, wonder if he's going to have favor with us. No, he's, he's a son. He, he knows he's got acceptance. He's got favor. And, and he, know, he, he doesn't come and knock on the door and say, can I, can I, uh, can I disrupt your lives? Can, can I have a moment? No, he, he comes. He, he knows he'll be welcomed in. God, in his kindness at Pentecost, sent the Holy Spirit for a whole lot of reasons, but one of the reasons as we, we, we have it here is, is because we needed that spirit of sonship that would help us understand that Abba-Father relationship and so that we could would cry out to our, and pray and interact with our Father as Heavenly Father. 
And so what a, what a transition has made. You know, sometimes, sometimes I hear people pray, and, and this isn't a criticism, it's just when sometimes people will pray, they will say, God, and then they will carry on. And, and my thought is, you know, um, that person is not yet enjoying the true privilege of sonship. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. It's just, just a thing. I, I think there's, there's terms that we use with our parents and in a family relationship that are more intimate than just the generic. And, and again, I'm not on a rant or anything about that. It's just it's something that I wonder, at least, uh, as, I, as we have the privilege, uh, as we read these verses, uh, to call out to God as our Abba, our Papa, in the, in the original context, what a privilege that is. And so this great drama of redemption played out on three different stages, if you will, or three different scenes. There's Bethlehem, God with us. There's Calvary, God for us. There's Pentecost, God in us. What a, what a great story has been told and is being played out in our lives and the wonderful thing is that you and I are in the middle of that story he came for us and desires not only to be with us but he gave his life for us and he wants to dwell in us and this is the great redemption story that is being played out and so may we be encouraged as we think of this Christmas season um, it, uh, it has all kinds of implications. It's not just a baby in a manger over there, but he came on a specific mission, rescue mission, to give his life for our life and uh, so that we could be his children and ultimately heirs and even joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. So we'll call up the music team and then I'll be back. Without question, the sending of man to the moon was a great event in human history, but it certainly wasn't the greatest event. If you want to go home and Google uh, what President Nixon said, there's a plaque that was placed on the moon uh, when the, the astronauts left there, and this is what the plaque said. Here, men from the planet Earth first set foot on the moon in July 1969. And then it says this, we came in peace for all mankind. Interesting, isn't it? The world is looking for peace, and, and we know the one who, in this greatest event of human history, the greatest story ever told, uh, he came, not in peace, but he came to make peace through the blood of his cross so that we can enjoy peace with God and the peace of God in our lives. I hope that's your experience here, that you're experiencing the peace of God, um, that you know something about a relationship with him and enjoying what it is to be a, a child of God. And if you don't, talk to somebody. Um, you don't want to live with that burden and guilt of your sins through another Christmas. Uh, we celebrate a Messiah, the one who came to rescue us from that so you can enjoy a full relationship with the God of heaven. Father, we're so grateful for this one that we've been singing about and reading about and thinking about. So grateful that you so loved the world that you were willing to give your son. 
You were willing to send your son on a rescue mission uh, to redeem us, to rescue us from our sin and to set us free and to bring us into your family, into the very family of God so that we can be not only heirs but co-heirs even with the Lord Jesus himself. What an amazing, amazing story of redemption this is. And our prayer is, Father, that everyone in this room and everyone that is listening would, would know and experience the joy of sins forgiven, the peace with God and peace of God that you've made available to us. And so we thank you for uh, these uh, words of Scripture and all that we've considered Pray that you would uh, impress these things on our heart. Help us to go out into our week with a, just a gratitude and a joy for all that you've done and continue to do. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.